This morning's scripture is from Luke, the second chapter, verses 25 through 35. And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for the purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what of what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation." What you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother was ama- were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to mother, Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul. To the end that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. Let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we come to you this morning, looking again at those moments shortly after the birth of our Lord and Savior. And Father, we pray that we can get a glimpse into the great faith of not only Simeon, but also of Anna, of Mary and Joseph as they started with our Savior and they recognized who he was and then word went out to all the world and goes on till this very day. Father, I pray that uh, you help us to take away that great faith from this story this morning, that we can use this as a sense of encouragement in our own lives, Lord. And I pray this morning that the words I speak be not of me, but be glorifying unto you and from your spirit. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. So this morning, as you've no doubt figured out, we're going to wrap up the Christmas story or our study of Luke with respect to the birth of Christ. Next week we will be back in Romans where we left off before Christmas time came. So we know as we look at this story that at the time of Jesus... There had to be corroboration for anything to be believed. Actually, there had to be, anything had to be corroborated by two or three witnesses. 
just the way that the, they, they had the things set up. There had to be some sort of two or three witnesses to corroborate something happened. And so here we have that actually taking place. We saw that Mary and Joseph, and I'm going to use those two as one, but they were the first group that corroborated who Jesus was, that he was, in fact, Jesus, the Son of God. They had him circumcised on the eighth day, and we talked about that to great lengths last week, and they named him Jesus as they were commanded by God to do through the angel. And then he was dedicated to the Lord even at the temple. We talked about they didn't have to go to the temple to dedicate him, but because he was who he said he was and who they believed him to be, they wanted to go a step further. So they were going to dedicate him even at the temple, and that's what they did. So they arrived at the temple then to sacrifice doves and or pigeons and to basically reinstate Mary in her relationship with God. And we covered that last week in great detail. We talked about how when a mother gave birth to a child, they were unclean. And for the first seven days, with respect to a son, they didn't talk to anybody. And then that remained throughout that 40-day period. Although they could talk to people, they were cut off from God. They couldn't participate in um, worship at the temple or any of those things until they offered that sacrifice and they were reinstated. And it was twice that number for the female or 80-day or an 80-day period. And we talked a little bit about that, that last week as well. Basically, my opinion and I can't justify it, just my opinion was because the boy was circumcised on the eighth day, that was a a cleansing ritual in and of itself, so because of that circumcision that happened to the boy that did not happen to the girl, then the mother had to go for the full 80-day period as opposed to the 40 with respect to the son. So anyway, we covered that last week. You can go back. I think that actually uploaded. You can listen to that. It's quite amazing and And I think it's really cool to listen to all that about why they had to be cleansed after birth. But anyway, they were led by the Spirit to the temple. And it's the exact same time they were supposed to be led by the Spirit to the temple. So we have 40 days after the birth of Jesus that Mary and Joseph find themselves at this temple. And we saw last week a man of great faith. And that man was named Simeon. And as I said, we don't see him before and we never see him again. He comes in for this little window of time and he comes in to identify the Lord, the Christ child of God. And we know that God put on Simeon the inability, if you will, to die. Simeon could not pass from this world until he identified the Savior of the world. And every day, Simeon, according to his faith and what God had told him, went to the temple. And he went to the temple for one purpose, and that one purpose was to identify the Christ child. And we talked about how much faith that had to take to do that day after day after day we don't know how long that this progressed but I'm quite certain it was for a long period of time 
Because we see here in verse 29 what Simeon says whenever he finally sees the Christ child and they meet up in this big crowd of probably thousands of people. And yet God worked it out perfectly and harmoniously that Simeon, whose job it was to identify the Savior, comes in contact with Mary and Joseph who has this 40-day-old baby with them. And he says, now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant. You are releasing me from what you have called me to do, and now I can depart in peace, knowing full well that everything I was called to do has been done. What a sense of relief that must have been to Simeon. Because honestly, there's 400 years have passed since the close of the Old Testament to the opening of the New, and everybody's anticipating the Savior to come, and yet it has come to Simeon to point him out. One man, a man that we've never heard of and never will hear of again in the Bible. Here he is. We have all of the Old Testament saints Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of his sons and everybody else, they talked about this time. And we see them, a lot of them, in Hebrews in the Hall of Faith that we've been going through in Sunday school. But yet it's Simeon that we don't hear of, that we don't know, that there's not a lot made of that is the one person that gets to identify the Savior of the world. You would think, right, that it would be somebody of great magnitude. It's not the way God does things. It's not the way God does things. He chooses the base things in life, those that are humble, those that are lowly, and those that will serve. So he sees him, he identifies him, he thanks the Lord for releasing him, And now he's going to depart in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. More than anything else, God is a God of salvation. He is a God that saves us eternally. A God who sent forth his one and only son as the perfect sacrifice for our salvation. He's a God of wrath. He's a God of judgment. He's he's a God of a lot of things. And he is a multifaceted, multifaceted entity in and of himself. But yet overarching is this idea that he's a God who saves. And that's what Simeon chose to focus on whenever he saw Jesus. For my eyes have seen your salvation. For my eyes have seen your salvation, verse 31, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light of revelation to the Gentiles. So where are they when Simeon finds Mary and Joseph and Jesus? They're at a temple, and this temple is a Jewish temple, right? They're all Jews. Everybody in there is an Israelite, or you would believe to be an Israelite. 
And yet, Simeon says something astounding at the time. We read it and we don't think it's a big deal because we're on this side. But this was remarkable for Simeon to say this. The Jews didn't like the Gentiles. They didn't eat with them. They didn't go around them. They didn't want to be anywhere near the Gentiles. The Gentiles were were godless, filthy people that made fun of them, that killed them, that did everything horrible to them. And yet here we have Simeon, Simeon, the very first one to identify the Savior, make this statement. That this little child is going to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. What exactly does that mean? A light of revelation. That this little child is going to shine light into what was a dark place to reveal something. He's going to enlighten the Gentiles, the godless people that don't even believe in God. That's how he is a light of revelation to us. That he's going to show us God that we've been unable to see or the Gentiles of that time were unable to see. The first words of what Christ was going to do with respect to our forefathers as Gentiles. That he was revealing the Father to the Gentiles. Those were amazing words that were spoken by Simeon in a Jewish temple at that time. So I'm quite sure that Mary and Joseph, as much as they knew what was coming, and I don't exactly know what all was revealed to them, but I'm not really sure that all these details that they're getting from Simeon, they had any clue about. So he's a light of revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to your people, Israel, he says. Jesus was the glorious pinnacle or culmination of the Israelites. He was it. He sat on high. Everything that every God-fearing Jew had ever experienced in their life was built on this idea that the Savior was going to come. He was that pinnacle. He was the crescendo of Jewish belief and thought. Now, as I said, I don't know what had been revealed to Mary and Joseph, but we get an idea from this passage that they didn't know everything that was being said to them. I'm quite certain when this whole notion of the Gentiles came from Simeon, they were astonished because it says, and his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. They knew that he was Jewish. They knew that he was the pinnacle of the Jewish system of faith. So that only leaves one other thing. That he was going to be a light to the revelation of the revelation to the Gentiles. They were amazed that Jesus was going to be opened up to all the Gentiles. Simeon then goes on. He blesses them and he gives Mary a little bit of warning about what's coming. Behold, this child 
is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. And oh, wasn't that the case? The fall and rise of many in Israel. Many Jews followed him, most fell away. And for a sign to be opposed. He also told Mary, A sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that many to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I wonder how many times during Passion Week, the time we have from the triumphal entry of Palm Sunday through the crucifixion during that week when Mary was there and she was watching what was going down and the betrayal and the capture and everything else that played out. How many times did these words come back to her mind that she heard 33 years before? I'm sure at this time she didn't get it because it's very difficult with that young baby in her arms and she's so happy and excited about when Simeon says these things that a sword's going to pierce your soul. There's going to be pain that comes from this child. She didn't get it at this time. But in my heart, I'm I'm certain that at some point in time, that all started making sense to her. She started to understand as... They captured him as they beat him, tortured him, laughed at him, spat upon him, and killed him. What Simeon was saying to her 33 years prior. The thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Jesus has, to this very day, A very special way of revealing the hearts of men and women. Unlike any other name or any other human that's ever walked this earth, doesn't he? For those who oppose God, the very mention of the name Jesus will bring out all types of hate and vitriol and just evilness. It reveals what's inside. And on the other hand, for those that love him... Just the very name Jesus brings out love and warmth and and kinship and forgiveness and sacrifice and everything good that we can imagine. All coming from this one little baby and the testimony that Simeon gives us. Simeon wasn't alone at that temple. We had one more. That was there. Remember, I said we need three, two or three witnesses. I put Mary and Joseph together. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. So we know that her name is Anna. Luke tells us that she is a prophetess. Now, a prophet can be a prophet in the Bible in one or two different ways, or both. They can proclaim God's word from his written word, 
or they can get direct inspiration from God speaking to them, or both. We don't know what the case was from Anna, except for she absolutely did get direct inspiration from God. She was a prophetess. She was from the tribe of Asher. And that fact probably doesn't mean a lot to many of you. But Asher was one of the 12 tribes of Israel, or or sons of Jacob, if you recall that. And the tribe of Asher actually were taken into captivity. There was 10 of those tribes that were taken into captivity by the Assyrians, and they went north. And there were two that went south. I've asked this question before, I'll ask it again. Who are the two? I'll give you the hard one, Benjamin. Who's the other one? Judah. Judah. They're the tribes that went south. The ones that got captured by the Assyrians, they got assimilated. And so those of Judah and Benjamin, they didn't like what happened to the ten. A lot of them were killed, and a lot of them assimilated with the Assyrians or the pagans, and they became sort of half-breeds. Remember the Samaritans? There you go. They were from the one of the ten, or from the ten tribes that went north, got assimilated with the Assyrians, and they were unclean because they didn't marry and commingle only with other Jews as those from Judah and Benjamin did. So, nonetheless, Anna was a daughter of the tribe of Asher. She no doubt escaped. She probably escaped, or her parents escaped, or someone escaped and got down to Judah and Benjamin. So we got a little history of who Anna is and where she comes from. Now Luke tells us that she's advanced in years. Kind of reminds me of the Zechariah statement to the angel whenever the angel came and told Zechariah he was going to have a baby. Zechariah being the politically correct husband said, I'm an old man and my wife's advanced in years. He wasn't going to get in trouble for saying she was old. But we know here that exactly Anna was advanced in years. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. So it sounds a little confusing. So we know about the time of Mary that girls got married at a very young age, 13-ish, very young age. So if she was of 13 years of age in that neighborhood, she got married, she lived with him for seven years, so we're looking about 20 And he dies. She becomes a widow at that time. Now, the Greek's a little bit different on how to or how to interpret the Greek in this. There's a split. Verse 37 says, and then as a widow to the age of 84. So what you could do is you could say she was widow, a widow for 84 years, add the 20 to it, that makes her 104, or her total age is 84. Either way, she's not 25. Okay? She is advanced in years. So 84, 104, either way, she is advanced in years, and we know that from this passage. And you might ask, why did Luke include that information here? You know, Luke was a physician. Luke was extremely meticulous in all the facts that he took down. Luke includes this detail because it's real, okay? He wants you to know that Anna was a real person. That she had a history, she was from, from the tribe of Asher, that she was 84, 85 years old plus, that she was a real living, breathing woman. 
she wasn't some figment that he made up to make the story seem a little bit better. That's why he includes this, is he wants us to know that these are real people. They're not fictional characters. And I think Luke does a very good job of that whenever he gives us these types of of details. So, he also wants us to understand the depth of dedication that this lady had for God. The depth of dedication that this lady had for God. Widowed at 20. So regardless of whether it's 84 years of being by herself or 64 years of being by herself, that's a long time to do one thing. It's a long time to do one thing. She desired to be in the presence of the Lord all the time. She never left the temple. She never left the temple serving day and night with fastings and prayers. What a godly woman. What a godly woman. She could have done all kinds of different things that would have been self-serving, but instead she's chose to dedicate herself to God and His cause. Verse 37 says she was serving day and night. When we serve, we are doing for others. If we're not doing for others, we're doing for ourselves, and that is self-serving. But Anna was a true servant. She was serving others. And how was she doing that? By fasting and prayer. So, well, if she fasted for 64 years or 84 years, she's starving to death. It doesn't mean that she's just not eating. It means that she's so involved with her relationship with God that whenever it comes dinner time, she doesn't even know it. Anybody ever get so busy and caught up in doing something that it comes time to eat? Now me, not very often, but it does happen from time to time. But it comes time to eat, you don't even realize it? That's Anna. That's Anna every day for 84 years. Every day for 84 years. She was praying and fasting. And at that very moment, verse 38, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. At that moment, what moment? At the moment that Simeon was speaking with Mary and Joseph about Jesus. So when all these people hundreds if not thousands of people at this temple on this busy day Simeon finds the Savior and lo and behold here comes Anna also finds the Savior the beautiful providence of God and she comes up and she begins to give thanks to God without hesitation without questioning What's his kid's name? Right? If we were looking for somebody, that's what we would be doing. Not Anna. Unequivocally, without hesitation, she comes up to this 40-day-old baby. 
and knew exactly who he was and who he would become. And she begins glorifying God by telling everyone who he is and what he's going to do. Should give us, for those of us who wants to truly glorify God, it should give us a little inclination of what to do, right? If you truly want to glorify God, you do what Anna did. You tell who he was and what he does. So when we look at Simeon and we look at Anna and believe that God gave them special powers to see and identify the Messiah, that's probably true to some extent. But I also want you to know because of their exercise of great faith and how close they were with God, they knew his will. They knew God. They knew who his son was. And so it was easy for them to identify Jesus. But you know, when we get pulled astray and we don't, or we find ourselves not as close to God as we're supposed to be, then we can't find what we're searching for. We can't hear his voice. We can't know his will, much less follow it or abide by it. But because of Simeon and Anna's dedication, they were both able to do that. They were both able to see Jesus, to see God's grace in the midst of thousands of people, hundreds or thousands of people, to see that. And you know, when we have troubled times, sometimes if we're not close with God, we can't see him in the middle of difficult things. It would have been easy for Simeon and Anna to get lost in the crowd, to never find Jesus, to never see God's grace in the midst of it. But because they were so close with God, everything else out there, all those other people, everything else that was going on, the sacrifices, the the sale of the pigeons and birds and goats and everything, that was just all background noise. Because their relationship with God quieted all that. They were not distracted. The same thing can happen to us. When we view the things of the world and the chaos and everything that's going on, it's just background noise. We should not get distracted. And when we're not distracted, then we're able to deal with whatever comes about. Whatever it may be. They fasted, they prayed, they were true servants in every sense of the word. They wanted nothing for themselves, they only wanted to serve God. And as we embark on a new year today, let us be resolute, dedicated. We have resolutions that come January 1st every year and they last till about today right? We start diets, we start this, we start whatever. But if there's anything in the world on this earth that is worth being resolute about, it's our relationship with God. Keep that focus, maintain that focus, because when you lose that focus, 
everything else comes down around us. But when we are focused, we can see things just like Anna, just like Simeon, that we wouldn't ordinarily be able to see. So let's resolve to make this year a year that we grow closer to God than we've ever been in our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for these beautiful stories of the birth of Christ and Mary and Joseph and the trip to Jerusalem, to the temple, and Simeon and Anna and their devotion to you to be able to see our Savior. And Father, as we begin this year, let us resolve to draw closer to you this year than we were last. Let us resolve to understand that this life isn't about us, this life is about you. Let us glorify you by showing others your son in the same way that Anna did, Father. And we pray that you were glorified this morning. We pray that you go with us this evening and we pray for this evening's Bible study, Lord. We pray that your spirit would speak to us in a very special way and that you would be glorified through that. For it's in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. All rise.